a podcast. Did your radio show get canceled? Fire, fire, fire. Low down and filthy, but the discipline is on point. Schooled myself, made my own dojo. A cold flow with the whole dose of soul. Maintain composure, even in fury. An anomaly, properties undiscernible to mere peasants. Use weapons that level entire area. Scarier than hey, it's Pete the Planner, and this week on the Pete the Planner Show, we're going to focus on refinancing. Yes, once you are financing uh, a purchase in your life, whether it's a car or a house or a jet ski... Uh, sometimes it's important to refinance uh, that item. And so we're going to have some rules, how it works, some best practices, uh, because refinancing can be the difference between uh, spending thousands of dollars uh, more than you should and spending the right amount. Uh, you can always watch us. Just a reminder, you're listening to this, uh, on the radio today or on our podcast. You can always watch us, too, at PeteThePlanner.tv. You'll see this episode. Uh, so uh, please join us there. I'm very excited. We got some lighting additions to the studio this week. Let's just be honest. I'm not a lighting professional, which is called a gaffer. Turns out when you're watching a movie and, it, and it's like at the end, there's all the credits. There's like best boy. No one knows what that guy does. But the gaffer is the person that does the lights. And I am not a gaffer, but we have some new lights in the studio this week. So I'm very excited to maybe see me. But you know, I'll be honest. Like if, 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 this, if you need an a- appetite suppressant, BeatThePlanner.tv is for you because you get to see me in really good light, which is like, I'm never going to eat again. Uh, anyway, so uh, refinancing this week, we're going to focus on uh, what you need to know. And, and, and I think we have to start with this idea of why would someone refinance, right? And, and beyond that, or in front of that, I should say, is what's the point of when you have a loan? Like, what are you trying to accomplish with, with the payment? I know it sounds overly simplistic, but here's what I've learned. When you're struggling financially or you're not thinking straight, sometimes when you buy something, you're just trying to afford the payment, right? And, and, and con- marketers, I almost said consumers, but and they too, but marketers really play into this. They'll send you a catalog. The, the best example I always have is when I was a kid, there was the Dell computer catalog, right? They would physically mail you, talk about the digital world. They would physically mail you a paper catalog so you could buy a digital product in that catalog. And it was a computer. I remember going to my dad when I was in high school, Pike High School, class of 96. I, I would go to my dad and I'd be like, dad, uh, I want to buy three computers because they're only 11 bucks a month. Right, so in that moment, I was trying to buy like a three fifteen hundred dollar computers, forty five hundred dollars worth of computing equipment on my measly uh, hourly wage of uh, working at a record store at Lafayette Square. Some fun stories there, uh, and I was trying to do say ah, eleven bucks a month. Anyone can afford that, and so that's what marketers uh, do: is they try to convince you you can afford anything if the payment is the right amount. When you go to the car lot is the is really the best example on a day-to-day basis of this. When you go to the car lot, what ends up happening is you walk in and you think, okay, we need a new car. And what most people do is they say, I, I want our payment around 350 bucks a month. What most people don't do is to walk into the lot and say, um, uh, I want to spend $35,000. Now, you think you do that. You think you do that. But the second the salesperson sort of gets their mitts on you, that was a, if you're watching a Pizza Planet TV, I just made sort of a cat move. 
And that's when I said mitts, and I don't, I don't know why I did that. So that's why you're going to have to go to TV to see that. Uh, they get their mitts on you, and all of a sudden, the conversation switches from possibly the total dollar amount of the purchase to what it costs you on a monthly basis. And they want to do that, right? Because if you go in and you think originally, I'd like to spend $20,000 because you've done some math and it works, you've gone online to a calculator and you know that gets you to your $300 a month payment or whatever. And you go in and they say, what do you want to spend? You say about 20,000. They'll say, well, what are you wanting to pay a month? And you say 300, game over bucko, you just lost, right? And they're just doing their job. I think it's important to realize as we switch back and forth here on Pete the Planner TV a little bit, it's important to realize that sometimes they're just doing their job. I don't view that as predatory lending. I don't view it as predatory sales. If you tell a salesperson what they need to know to do their job, and you're just not self-aware of what just happened, that's on you. That's your fault. It's not their fault. Right? People like to, to get on predatory lenders. Well, what's, oh, the lender did this and that. No. Who signed the document, right? I, I want to empower you to make good financial decisions, to finance things at the right interest rate, over the right term, with the right terms. But the reality is, if you don't know what you're signing or you're signing a bad document, that is your fault. We are so dismissive of someone's personal responsibility in buying something they can't afford. And this was no more evident than it was during the uh, subprime lending crisis of, of 2008-2009. So what ends up happening, and if you haven't seen the show already, The Big Short uh, by Michael Lewis, uh, by, by the show, I mean, it's a movie. You can read the book too. Just watch the movie. Uh, so the movie really talks about people that should not have been able to buy a home, were offered the ability to buy a home. And, and just so you know, when I say someone shouldn't be able to buy a home, man, doesn't that sound judgmental, right? When you heard me say that, you were like, oh, who are you to say, right? Right, that's what you were saying. And even saying it, I'm a little, oh, is that even the right thing to say? But guess what? There is someone who should be able to buy a home and there's someone who shouldn't be able to buy a home. And if you are a person that shouldn't be able to buy a home and you buy a home, it's not kudos to you. It's shame on you. You're not beating the system. The system is beating you and that's your fault, not the system. Everyone wanted to blame the banks and don't get me wrong. The banks did a bunch of nasty junk, right? They offered these loans to people that shouldn't have had them. And then they, they bundled the loans and then sold uh, investment derivatives of those packages of terrible loans. And of course, they're going to go out. People were given loans that the bankers knew they would default on. And so it is an interesting question of whose fault is that? Is that the, is that the bank's fault? Is that the, the consumer's fault? I, I don't side with the banks, but I would say I, I side with the idea that it's the consumer's fault. If you sign a bad note, that is on you. Recently, I came across a situation which a person I know, uh, uh, a nice lady, she bought a house she shouldn't have purchased, right? She shouldn't have purchased. No doubt in my mind, right? I don't think that's going to end well. Have I told her this? I have told her this. Am I a terrible person? No, I'm an honest person. And she asked, so I told her. If you ask, I'm going to tell you, right? So I was like, this is not going to work. This is not going to end well. She's like, well, why would the bank let me do it if it wasn't going to work? They don't care. And when I say that, it's like, oh, the cold bank doesn't care. Why should they? What is a bank's job in that situation? 
to offer you financing, to get paid interest uh, via your loan. And if it doesn't work out, they take back the property and then monetize it another way. I'm not being cynical here. I'm just trying to say, as we talk about refinancing in this show, I'm trying to set the basis of when you buy something, your role in the purchase process is more important than you think. I know we all like to be guided through a sales process and it's even great when it's not feel, when it doesn't feel salesy, right? It was like, uh, I was talking to a guy the other day, he's like, uh, people don't like to be sold to. I'm like, yeah, I know. But the reality is you can sell to someone and car people do and mortgage lenders and also and furniture people, they sell to people all the time and it never feels like the person's being sold to. That's good sales. So if someone leads you down the sales process and gets you to spend what they want you to spend and you still accomplish your goals, you walk out of there feeling like it was a win-win. Time passes. Buyer's remorse. Reality sets in and you realize you could not afford it. You know what? An interesting example of this is if you happen to get paid every other week, which I think is bi-weekly or bi-monthly, I never know. I really don't know the difference. I know I probably should. I actually wrote that once in my column, and then a guy wrote me a nasty email that said, how can you not know that? I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know German either. I, mean, what, I don't know. Anyway, if you get paid every other week, which is 26 pay, that's what I call it, uh, there are two months a year in which you get three paychecks. If you look at your bank account and make a major buying decision based on the extra money that's in your account that month, guess what happens? You may create a scenario in which you have remorse over a purchase. You may go and buy something. You may look up 30 days later and be like, I, I can't afford the financing I just set up, but I could in the moment. That, that illustrates the ills of financing. And what we're going to do after the break, we're going to come back. We're going to go a, a deep dive into this whole idea. Uh, when you finance something, what are you trying to accomplish? And if you find out that you finance something the wrong way, how do you fix it? That's all this week on the Pete the Planner Show. Uh, that's what we're doing. If you want to watch this episode, please do. That's uh, PeteThePlanner.tv. Uh, we'll have it up there for you. Of course, you can visit PeteThePlanner.com as well. And uh, we'll be back right after this break. Question the right of any man. The voice his opinion as strongly as any can. But then again, many men are citizens of their own little world, so they ain't really fitting in. I'm in the background blending in. Camouflage by the scenery, but I'm a champion. Revamp the camp again. Put down the stamp again. Talk to my fans again. Renew my brand again. We're back on the Pete the Planner show here on the radio, on the podcast, and now on PeteThePlanner.tv. Check it out. Uh, here I am. Hello, I'm waving to you, and you might just be listening to this, and so you didn't see it. Uh, what we're talking about today is financing and refinancing. When you go to make a purchase and you don't have the money to make the purchase, or you choose not to use your liquid capital to make that purchase, then you may want to leverage other people's money. It's called a loan. What I've just described for you is not fancy, it's just called a loan. If it's a house, it's a mortgage. Why? I don't know, right? I think mortgage, like mort means death, right? No, the, the, the Greek or the Latin, I took... 
eight years of Latin, high school and college, and I should know this, but I know. It's death something, like death note. No one knows. Uh, but anyway, uh, a loan for a house is called a mortgage. When you go to buy something, it's so important that you know what you're trying to accomplish. As a first-time home buyer often does, when they go to buy a house, they see a house they like, and then they try to find a way to afford the payment. They don't try to afford the house. Now, they think they're trying to afford the house, but they never do. They focus on affording the payment. And you think if you can afford the payment, you can afford the house. And that's not true on so many levels with a house. Number one, from an affordability standpoint, I think if you can't put at least 10% down, you can't afford the house. Forget your payment. I don't care about your payment. If you cannot put 10% down, you cannot afford the house. That's actually a reasonable uh, measure for a car purchase too. Anytime you have an amortized uh, loan where it's paid back over a certain time frame, a term, uh, then, then you need to make sure that you can afford the purchase, not just afford the payment. So that, that's one major element of, of affording a home. And so what do people do? What sort of mistakes are made when people afford the payment? Well, the, the first thing that often happens is the term is stretched out. When I say term, I mean the length of time of the loan four years, six years for a house, 15 years, 30 years. I believe the average length of a new car loan in the United States today, I think it's 68 months is the average new car purchase length. And the payment's around 500 bucks. I used to know the number. I've forgotten it. I'm getting up there in years and I forget most things. But 68 months is right. So that is just under what? Six years, right? Just under six years. I'm just going to say it. There's probably going to be car commercials on the radio like right after this segment. If you have to finance a car for six years, you cannot afford that car. I know you're like, oh, I can afford the payment. Dude or dudette, I don't discriminate. You can't afford the car. You cannot afford the car. I don't know why this is a, an offensive message. If you're hearing this, you're like, oh, I did it wrong. Pete is judging me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You don't want to take an L, right? A loss. You don't want to take an L. You're taking an L if you have a six-year car loan. What am I suggesting? I'm suggesting you stop affording the payment and start affording the car. You cannot afford a car if you have a six-year car loan or more. You can't. Buy less car. Well, I can get a, a brand new car. It's a $31,000 car for just 250 bucks a month. You can't afford it. You can't. You cannot. Because here's what happens. A car is, in almost every circumstance, a depreciating asset. A depreciating asset is an asset that depreciates. It goes down in value over time. So think about this. When you have a loan that stretches that long, you're paying a lot of interest on the front. The loan, the, the capital, uh, the principal, I should say, is not getting paid back efficiently because it's stretched over a long period of time. So as your car depreciates, depending on what you put down on the car, your car will go down in value faster than you pay off the loan. Okay, so you will get into a scenario four years into a six-year car loan where your car is worth 8,000 bucks, but you owe 12,000 bucks. How does that make sense? It doesn't make sense, but if you're focused on affording the payment, you're in trouble. Now look, sometimes you're in a jam 
and you need to buy a car, no one ever gets in a jam and needs to buy a house. And by the way, if you ever find yourself in a jam and you need to buy a house, uh, you're not in a jam. You're just trying to buy a house, <laughs> right? They're legit, you will. You can find yourself in a jam uh, where you need to buy a car. I, I've been there. I've had coworkers be there. I, I can think of two coworkers specifically that you're in a jam. Your car dies. You got to buy a car. I, I wasn't in too different of a scenario probably 10 years ago. My car died. I'm at the dealership. It's dead. I need a car, right? You find yourself in a jam and you just try not to rush things. But maybe you're in a jam because your credit stinks, right? So then you're like, oh, I need a car. No one will sell me a car except a buy here, pay here lot. And yes, that seems like a derogatory term and kind of ends up being one. Buy here, pay here has a certain connotation. It's like, well, you got bad credit and uh, you're going to have to pay a 23% interest rate loan. So what you need to consider when this happens is if you're in a jam to buy a car and you have a set monthly payment that you want to try to hit, but you're also trying to afford the car itself, but you got terrible credit, so your interest rate's going to stink, what do you do? Buy less car, right? So what people think you do is they think you, uh, well, I might as well get the car I want. No, don't do that. That's a terrible idea. It's like, well, I'm going to have to borrow money at 23%. I might as well get this $25,000 car. Are you kidding me? Do you realize that at a $20,000 car purchase, uh, if you use a 23% interest rate over five years, which is a typical buy here, pay here rate, you will pay 13, over 13,000, I think it's like almost 14, $13,800 in interest on a $20,000 car purchase. You will pay $33,800 for a car over five years, which will depreciate so quickly that you will be upside down, underwater, negative equity, whatever you want to call it, dude, you're in trouble, right? That's the concern here. If, if you finance something incorrectly, whether it's a car or a house, you're in trouble. Now, the, the house version of this is even more interesting and even scarier, but people don't like to think about it. I'm going to take you back to the early 2000s. I, I'm here in uh, central Indiana. Oh, it's the greatest place in the world for me. Uh, greatest place in the world, central Indiana. And uh, central Indiana is, uh, at one time, this is not offensive, was a bunch of cornfields. just was. There's was a field, there's corn in the field, cornfield. All right, that's what we were. And so what happens is cornfields disappear, houses pop up, urban sprawl. I don't know if that's the definition of urban sprawl, but that's what we're calling it. I'm just make things up. We were cornfields. We're no longer cornfields. It's a great place. Okay. So what happens during the building boom of the early 2000s is as major production builders, major national names of builders are coming in and building production homes. Some people call them vinyl villages and all sorts of things. What ends up happening is a cornfield disappears, a vinyl village pops up, and these are homes that are not necessarily built to last with uh, very little damage over a 20 to 25 year period. The materials to build some of these homes because they're affordable homes are 10 year materials, 10 year materials. And to get people into these homes, they were sold on a subprime, um, with subprime lending, right? People that shouldn't be buying those homes are buying those homes. No money down programs, 30 year mortgages so they can afford the payment. So let's fast forward 10 years or so. What happens to a home that was built in a former cornfield that someone could not objectively afford, purchased it anyway, it's built to 
hang tight nicely for eight to 10 years, and then it starts to depreciate in value, despite the fact that a home is supposed to be an appreciating asset. What happens when there's a real estate crash in the midst of this? You have underwater housing. That's the problem. When you finance something incorrectly, no matter the quality of that, and especially when the quality of that is poor, you find yourself in trouble. You find someone that owes $120,000 on a production home, and it uh, is worth uh, $109,000. And that is a very modest, conservative example. I've seen people's lives absolutely ruined in these situations because they tried to afford the payment. We all get so emotional about how we finance the things we want that we lose our mind. Now, I've set you up for the problem over the last two segments. When we come back after the break, we're going to begin to solve this. How do you refinance? When do you refinance? What are you actually trying to accomplish? If uh, you're listening now, go ahead and over to PeteThePlanner.tv and watch it too. You can see me get emotional. Is there anything better than seeing me get emotional? I'm an emotional person. I think I've told you before. I'm a crier. Grandpa Dunn was a crier. My dad's a crier. I'm a crier. Ted, four-year-old, also a crier. So coming up after the break, how to fix financing garbage by refinancing. I'm Pete the Planner. We'll be back after this. Mr. Kinetic, Rusty Redenbacher, ATFU, Naptown, yeah. Cashing in like the end of the game at the casino. I lean so the glare of the rear view don't hit me. Swiftly through the avenues and boulevards. Old soul playing on my speakers. Old soul but young and age of boss player. Not from the Himalayas, but my fam gave me Gary Indiana game. Grew up around the country, but the mindset was there. Ain't I won't complain about it. All right, let's uh, fix all this stuff. We've been talking about it all day here on the Pete the Planner Show. Uh, when you mess up financing on a purchase. Very common. People make terrible financing decisions all the time. Now, and we talked about it. And if you missed any of it, go back to PeteThePlanner.tv and you watch it. You watch it. So listen, watch it. Uh, we talked about what happens in relation to the, the finance person you're talking to that helps you make the decision. The finance manager in a car lot or the, the, the loan officer for the bank is that their job is to help you complete the purchase. Do I want their job be to help you make a good financial decision? Yeah, I'd love if that were what the job was. It's not. I'm not sideways about that. You don't be sideways about that. And also don't lie to yourself that it's different. Like I have a lot of banker friends and, and I have no problem with them ethically. Why should I? They're doing their job. Their job is to help people make a purchase. If a person doesn't know how to appropriately finance the purchase, that's on the person not the bank. Again, I, I'm not a huge defender of banks, but I am a huge defender of the concept of personal responsibility. Let's not kid ourselves. That's what I am, and that's what we're dealing with here, okay? So if you find yourself in a situation in which you've made a purchase and you financed it incorrectly, let's fix that, okay? Let's start with cars. Uh, recently, I have a friend. 
he was in a jam and he bought a car at 23% interest. And he still owes, I think, 10 grand on the car. And if he continues with his current loan, he, by the way, his credit was terrible. His credit is now better. If he refinances with the two years left he has on his original loan, refinances those, those next two years, he will save $2,000 because he can go from a 23% interest rate down to about a 6% interest rate. So oftentimes you'll, you'll hear people say things like, well, all the interest is already paid. Don't refinance. What are you trying to accomplish when you refinance? So many people butcher this when it comes to um, housing that they try to refinance to make their payment go down. But sometimes when you refinance to make your payment go down, you end up increasing the total cost of what you're buying. Okay, so uh, in the 2000s, people were refinancing 30-year mortgages all the time as interest rates would fall. And you're like, well, I'm paying less interest, I'm paying less interest. But you kept restarting the darn loan. And your cash flow changed because your payment kept going lower, but it's not like you were investing the difference or making the same payment. Now, if you refinance to a lower rate, but you still make the same payment you made prior, then yeah, it can work out. But if you're refinancing for cash flow reasons to save yourself some cash flow to put towards another priority, unless that priority is paying down debt or saving money, you've failed, right? The last time I refinanced, I went from a 30-year to a 15-year, Right? What did I actually do in that moment? I increased my payment. I increased my payment because my goal was to own my home sooner, which a side effect of that in this scenario would be to pay less interest to eliminate that obligation. I don't want to carry the debt. I don't want to carry the payment. I, oh, it's much easier to make this payment versus that payment. That's not my goal. And that should not be your goal in a purchase. Your goal is not to necessarily just afford the payment. Yes, I want you to afford the payment, but that's not the primary way you make a decision on a purchase. Do you know, and this is this is terribly judgmental. I'm very upset at myself. I got three lashes. I don't know what that means. I've never been lashed. I, you know what I mean? Like, what's, what's involved with a lash? Never been lashed. It could be like some sort of like 50 shades of ginger. I don't know if they get like a, a leather lash. I don't know how this works. Okay. I don't know how it works. But uh, in this scenario, I know so many people, so many people that make terrible financial decisions based on trying to afford the payment. And hopefully I've gotten this through to you today. Your goal is to buy the item for the least amount of money. It's not any more difficult than that. Buy the item for the least amount of money, okay? So uh, if you look at a house, like, do you wanna buy a $100,000 house or for uh, $200,000 with interest, or do you wanna buy a $100,000 house with $150,000? I wanna buy a $100,000 house because I don't have cash. I can't buy it for 100,000, I gotta finance it. I wanna buy it for 150,000. I don't wanna buy a $100,000 house for 200,000. I don't wanna do that. Now, all sorts of smart people are gonna listen and watch this because they're smart, so they're watching this and listening to this. They're going to say, well, with the opportunity costs and leveraging money, you can invest the difference. Fine, but invest the difference. So often people say, well, I want a lower payment, so we have more flexibility to invest the difference. But if you don't invest the difference, if you take a lower payment so that you can take the money that you're not making towards the payment and then invest it and grow it to the side, good on you. Fantastic. You hear that giant truck driving by my studio right now? I'm pretty sure like a, one of the Transformers movies is going on outside of my, 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 my studio right now. I think Optimus Prime just got in a fight with Megatron. I, I don't know. I'm not a cartoon guy, uh, but those movies are pretty decent. 
Shia LaBeouf in the first couple, I believe. No one knows. Um, my wife thinks I love Shia LaBeouf movies. She like makes fun of me all the time. She's like, oh, there's your guy. And I'm like, he's not my guy. I like watched two movies with him in with like a couple month span several years ago. And now uh, my wife, Sarah, thinks that I'm a Shia LaBeouf guy. Really? Like I, like I don't have a Shia LaBeouf t-shirt. I mean, yeah, I have a can koozie that has Shia LaBeouf on, but that doesn't make me a Shia LaBeouf guy. Sorry. How do we, how do we consistently do that? How do we consistently talk? Anyway, afford the item. Don't just afford the payment. Now, when it comes to refinancing your, your mortgage or even refinancing private student loans, before you do anything, ask yourself why you want to do it and then listen to the answers. I want a lower payment. That doesn't necessarily make it a good idea, dude. It means you could pay more over the period of time. You could stretch it out. You could let yourself off the hook, give yourself too much margin and not invest the difference. If your goal in refinancing is to lower the payment, you might be doing it wrong. Uh, to lower my interest rate. Okay. Depending on what the term is and the reset of the term, the reset of the length of the loan, that could make sense. However, if you're 12 years into a 30-year loan and you refinance for the purpose of lowering your interest rate, you're going to pay more over the life of the loan, right? What about if the goal is to pay off whatever you're buying faster? Hmm. I like that. I like that. I also like if the goal is to decrease the total amount of money uh, you're spending on a purchase. I like that too. So anytime you're going to refinance, that's the lens of which you should look through. Uh, are you going to lessen the length of the loan? And are you, are you going to uh, spend less money over the length of the loan purchase? So often when we buy something, a house or a car, a sweater, a Shia LaBeouf can koozie, when we buy those things, we get the dopamine hit of the purchase at close, okay? So not that I had to finance my Shia LaBeouf can koozie. I don't actually have a Shia LaBeouf can koozie. We're... At close, when you buy them, they hand you the keys, you drive out. I remember my wife bought a Saturn once, not a, not a planet, but a car. We we're driving out of the showroom, people were clapping for us. And it's like, yeah, here's some famous Amos cookies. Like it was just like this whole thing. And we're like, oh, we did it, we did it, we did it. We didn't do anything. We took on a bunch of debt, right? So what happens is you, you sort of exhale when you make a purchase and you think, oh, we bought this. No, you did not buy this. You fought, You financed it. It is considered purchased and done and paid for when it's purchased and done and paid for. So it's, it's very common to stop caring the second you make a purchase and let a loan play out. But I encourage you, look at the loans and the debts that you can refinance, car, home, stu private student loans, and ask yourself, is this an unhealthy financial situation? Is the financing option I chose here bad? And if it is, Ask yourself how you want to fix it. And the answer, my friend, you, my answer is shrink the term of the loan or shrink the overall cost of the purchase. If you do that, you win. If you just try to shrink the payment, you, you, it's going to backfire. All right, so uh, watch all this, pizzaplanner.tv. Coming up after the break, biggest waste of money of the week, the bomb, and maybe some news. I'm Pete the Planner.
Every day living through the peace of my soul, I remain whole even in the middle of the pain. Even though my life has the rain, I still remain sane, writing and creating for my life. And my pen is my sword given by the Lord, and I use it to fight the tides of restriction. Sometimes I'm conflicted, find myself looking at the trees too much and can't see the forest. Enemies shall inherit the earth, and I want to inherit something, something other than the high blood pressure and diabetes. So work is what I gotta do. Stay true to my enemy and water the trees that I sing from and look out for the lumberjacks. Running with the gale force wind at my back. Swift and enduring, I remain calm. Swift and enduring, I remain calm. This week's biggest Swift waste on money of the I week, the Blum here on the Pete the Planner Show, is... Well, I'll get there in a second. Uh, so I had two really, really weird situations this week. Both involved travel. Uh, so I was in Chicago on Monday in uh, D.C., District of Columbia, which I wasn't. I was in Alexandria, Virginia. Anyway, no one cares. On Tuesday, right? And on, on Monday, I'm at a business lunch in Chicago. It was sort of an important thing. Like, there's an important meeting. Like, had to do a good job. So, like, what I've done in the past, because I'm, I'm dumb sometimes, I order a really messy sandwich. Like, and I'm supposed to be presenting on my computer and talk, and I don't know these people. I've just sort of met them. It's really important. And I order this messy sandwich that if you pick it up, the entire sandwich filling falls out. And so then I was forced to, in a last moment of desperation, eat the sandwich with a fork and a knife. Now, I don't know what's worse to eat a sandwich and have it fall all over you or to basically violate all terms of sandwich citizenship and eat a sandwich with a fork and knife. And I chose the fork and knife, and I, I've regretted it since Monday, but I feel like I was backed into a corner. I should have just ordered soup, right? Like the, the option would have been to order soup, but I wanted a sandwich. So that was problem number one with travels. Problem number two with travels, my good friend Chip, his name's Howard, we call him Chip, don't, don't ask. My good friend Chip always makes fun of me because I'm early, all the time. I can't help but to be early. I panic if I'm not early. Like, being late, not an option. My life is like, you're late, I'm not, I, I can't do it. Early? Early is where I'm at. So I have a meeting in an office park in Alexandria, Virginia on Tuesday, and the meeting starts at 11 a.m. My flight lands at 9. And so I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? And, 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 and I land at Reagan National. And the, uh, the meeting is uh, three miles away. So I'm like, well, I could just hang out at the airport. That way I don't go to some office park and I'm incredibly early. But then at the last second, I'm like, what if there's traffic? Like, what if there's traffic? It's, it's hours until this meeting. So I go to the office park and I get there and I was going to go into the meeting, into the building, just sit in the lobby by myself. But then what happens? Then what happens? I notice that the meeting I'm going to is on the first floor. They have all glass walls and windows. All the people could see me come in an hour and a half early. And on the sign, it says, welcome Pete the planner on their big signboard, their big TV monitor. So I couldn't go in that building. So I was stranded outside of this office by myself for 90 minutes. And then it occurs to me that I hadn't eaten, right? I got up at four to make this flight. I hadn't eaten it. And I'm, I'm like, my blood sugar's crashing. So I, I walk to this park in Alexandria, Virginia, and I find a falafel stand. And I grab falafel and I go and I find this park where children are playing and I'm in my best suit in a gazebo in a park eating falafel with these kids playing. And it just was the weirdest moment of my life. I don't know what happened. Anyway, this week's biggest waste of money of the week. Uh, so there was a, uh, a, a moment on the flight 
back to Indy in which I bought uh, in-flight Wi-Fi, which sometimes I do, to uh, uh, get work done, right? And so this week's biggest waste of the money of the week was in-flight Wi-Fi on my American Airlines flight back from D.C. because it didn't work. So I wasted $8.99. So thanks, American. I appreciate it. Good experience other than that, but that didn't work for me. So that's this week's show. I, we talked about financing. When you buy something, buy it the right way. Don't buy via the payment, buy, buy via the item. You have to afford the item. The goal is not to have a low payment. The goal is not to have a low payment. The goal is not to have a low payment. You, gotta, you have to know this and you have to teach your kids this. That's why kids end up with paying back student loans for 25 years. You should be paying back your student loans within 10 years, ideally within five. That's unrealistic. Shh. Don't ask you. If you finance your student loans for 25 years, what are you doing? You will pay tens of thousands of dollars more than you have to. So don't do that. Uh, so if you missed any of this, go to PeteThePlanner.tv. We've got the whole show for you there. Uh, that's it for this week. I'm sending you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner. See you next week. If you want to be on this podcast and have Pete fix your money right, then hit us up at PeteThePlanner.com slash podcast. You heard me. PeteThePlanner.com slash podcast. Log on. This is for information purposes only. It's not the Swiss financial planning device. Consult a financial divisor. Released from Everest, the fresh is fresh, and you can call me ET or to John Tesh. Let me bless this harmonic presentation. It's amazing, so amazing. I'm the reason. Uh, salutations, I bring you love, Tron greetings from a far away land. I am the soul controller. Put the remote down and let me take control. You're now a part of my zone, so enjoy yourself. Love, Tron can restore your health. I bring you greetings. Uh, Salutations, how you doing? And is that how y'all say it? The tinkling of the keys is an homage to the little, little star. I sojourn over poetic descriptions of sound and travel to my other world. Out of this world, spaceship on my arm took me home, filled by the ink and the megabytes and the hypertext transfer protocol stronger than the Skynet and the Terminator. I push faders into warp speed, glide with ease, creating a breeze they call a black hole, event horizon, no rear view concerns. This I adjourn, in beats I burn, this I adjourn, in beats I burn, Salutations, I bring you love, Tron greetings from a far away land. I am the soul controller. Put the remote down and let me take control. You're now a part of my zone, so enjoy yourself. Love, Tron can restore your health. I bring you greetings. Uh, salutations, how you doing? And is that how y'all say it?